welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in rugby sevens and currently play AFLW for the GWS Giants. Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host. Uh... <laughs> wow. <laughs> She's expectantly, expectantly waiting a big introduction. She's... um. Across all things women's rugby, manages the New South Wales Super W Waratahs team, she's the chief researcher at TFAP, Queen of Merchandise, and she finally has succumbed to the spicy cough. Yes, coming to you live from COVID town. Um, thanks for that intro. Let's take a look around the grounds. Uh, Sally Fitzgibbon, a cut from the World Surf League. Sam Kern named Women's Footballer of the Year and boxers sell out Madison Square Garden. For our key story, we'll discuss the damning report leaked about AFL umpires revealing a toxic male-dominated culture where women were being subjected to sexual harassment from spectators, umpire coaches and fellow umpires. Bit of a, a bit of a horrible read, that one, unfortunately. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And I'll also put the link in the show notes so you can subscribe to the newsletter format so you can get that hitting your inbox Tuesday mornings to read with your morning coffee. Let's take a look around the grounds. In netball, last week, Sunshine Coast Lightning defender Kate Walsh's defensive tactics. That sounded like cactus tactics was slammed. Cactus, <laughs> cactus would be cactus would be handy in the shooting circle. Spiky, yeah. <laughs> Don't come near me. I've got a cactus. <laughs> her tactics, not her cactus, were slammed on social media after she was involved in a tussle with New South Wales Swifts rookie goal shooter Sophie Fawns in last Saturday's round six match. There are a couple of incidents. Um, they they were shared quite a lot across Twitter. So Fawns took front position against Walsh and then they were fighting for that front position. So the Lightning defender appeared to push her forearm into the Swift's face. Many netball fans were quick to condemn Walsh after this and unfortunately some of the commentary stepped over the line into bullying. On Friday, Netball Australia, the Sunshine Coast Lightning and Walsh took the extraordinary step of issuing a joint statement condemning the bullying she received online. Netball Australia CEO Kelly Ryan stated, Kate, first and foremost, is a human being who has the right to compete and play netball without being subjected to this type of cruel behaviour. They talked a lot about the importance of of athletes being able to feel safe in netball but also being able to feel safe online and with social media. Kate was really humbled by by the support she received after reporting the online abuse and thanked her club, Netball Australia, and the AN Players Association and all that had reached out to her. She said that she really hopes this experience can start some positive conversations around the netball community and the wider audience on cyberbullying and harassment on social media platforms. And if anyone is going through something themselves right now, know that they too can reach out and gain help. Over the weekend, she was back on the court against the Giants and after the events of round six, the players were on notice to play clean and tight. The umpires were seen having early chats with mid-quarters to tidy up their defensive actions. Walsh's team had no answer for an excellent Giants team who posted their third win on the trot, thumping Sunshine Coast Lightning by 28 goals. The scoring was outstanding with Sophie Dwyer and Joe Harton carving up in the goal circle. The pair scored the highest total for 15 minutes in 2022 with 26 in the third quarter and equaled the record total of 82 for Super Netball in the 82-54 to win. Up the Giants. Dominant. In surfing, 
The WSL introduced a mid-season cut for season 2022, and that cut has proved to be fairly brutal. So at the start of the season, it was confirmed that there would be a reduction of surfers from the World Championship Tour at the midway point, and the women's tour would go from 18 surfers to 10. Um, the men's WCT is also being cut in this uh, Margaret River event where the men's competitors will go from 36 surfers to 22. The cut endeavours to create a more competitive WCT and allow the event to be surfed in a shorter time frame in the most optimal surfing conditions. So obviously nature involved, they really want to get the surfing done when the, when the conditions are at their peak. It's been a huge topic of conversation and at Bells Beach a petition was actually signed and lodged. Um, a large number of surfers submitted that to the WSL asking for the mid-season cut off format to be reconsidered and disregarded. Uh, the World Surf League CEO Eric Logan responded and said, the redesigned tour structure has been met by the industry and fans with genuine excitement and significantly increased engagement. The new structure will see the surfers who have not made the cut drop down to the World Challenger Series and compete to secure their spot on next season's WCT. So as Margaret River moved into the third day of surfing, that axe began to swing and big names were not spared Sally Fitzgibbon went into the event ranked 12th and just couldn't summon the performance she needed to survive against Joanne DeFay in the last 16. Sally, who's finished runner-up in the title race three times and has been on the tour for 14 years. Um, so after going down to DeFay, the realisation that she was heading to the Challenger Series sunk in. And I love her attitude. Like, she's just such a positive human. She bravely said in a post-heat interview, I'm going into the hungry pit of piranhas Nothing will get you out of bed in the morning like the next generation. <laughs> I love she that. Just She's great. Took isn't it on she? the chin. She's like, well, next, next job. Here we go. That's cool. One of those next gen she will be up against is Molly Picklem, um, who surfed out of her skin to beat Tyler Wright earlier in the event, but she just couldn't back it up in the quarterfinals and went down to Courtney Connellog. Picklem again disappointed, but so young, and she said, "I do feel like I can match these girls. It sucks, but I'm excited for next year's." the next years to come on tour, and I feel like I'm on a decent path if I stick to the things that will go my way. At time of recording, we're at the semi-final stage, still waiting for swell. Semi-final two is the all-Aussie affair between Bronte McCauley and Isabella Nichols, which has serious implications for both surfers. McCauley needs to win the event, and Nichols needs to win her semi-final for them to both stay on tour. It's a fair bit of pressure going into a semi, isn't it? A very large addition to, like, some already pre-existing pressure, mm. so... Mm, interesting. Mm. In soccer, Sam Kerr has collected another award over the weekend when she took home the English Football Woman Player of the Year Award. The Matildas captain won a huge 40% of the vote in the Football Writers Association poll to be found the best player in the Women's Super League. She has been exceptional this season uh, for her team, Chelsea. She's already kicked 18 goals and had four assists from 18 or 19 WSL games. She might not have to wait long to add yet another trophy to the cabinet with the Women's Super League coming to a close in the UK. Chelsea have one match to play and lead second place Arsenal, who have a game in hand, by four points. Chelsea will face Manchester United this weekend for their chance to win their third WSL title in a row. Just in case Sam Kerr's trophy cabinet was not full enough as it was. She's almost certain to win the 2022 Golden Boot as the WSL top scorer for a second straight season. I think she's probably surpassed the cabinet stage of trophies. What is next, though? A wall? Is it just, I think it's just a wall. Maybe a shipping container. 
that's not really on display, but practical maybe. Practical for when she's moving between countries. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. She travels a lot. <laughs> In more soccer, Casey Rybelt became just the second woman to oversee a men's A-League match and the first this season when she took the whistle for the per. Perth Glory and Western Sydney Wanderers clash over the weekend. Kate Jaswick created history in January 2020 as the first woman to referee the comp- in the competition 15 years after it was established. Rybelt said before the match that she hoped that in the future that this is the norm, that having female officials in the A-League men's is not a special occasion. Casey also rolled out one of our favourite TFAP quotes here when she said, I really believe in the quote that you can't be what you can't see. And I think that for young female match officials, this shows that there is a pathway in the men's game as well as the women's game. So while officiating in her first A-League men's match is a big tick in the box of her refereeing goals, her ultimate dream is to be involved in next year's FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. The Home World Cup is top of the list for Rybelt and she notes it's a special, special thing because it's here, we're hosting, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I'm going to give myself every chance to be able to officiate in it. In boxing, there was a bit of boxing history made over the weekend when the first fight card headlined by a women's contest was held in the famous Madison Square Garden. The main fight was for the undisputed lightweight world championship and reigning champ Katie Taylor earned a thrilling split decision win over Amanda Serrano in front of a seriously amped crowd. The fight did not let the fans down as two of the sport's finest exponents went at it over 10 intense two-minute rounds. In a final flurry that typified the contest, both fighters ended the fight swinging wildly, trading blows with blood flowing from their faces. It was pretty full-on as the capacity crowd of 19,187 absolutely went off. Taylor, the unbeaten Irish champion, earned scores of 96 to 93 and 97 93 from two ringside judges, while the other judge scored at 96 94 for Serrano from Puerto Rico. Taylor was ecstatic after the win, saying, Look at what we've just done. Sold out Madison Square Garden, the biggest fight in female boxing history. What a win, what a night. Tickets for this bout sold out in the second fastest time for any boxing event ever at Madison Square Garden. Serrano said the performance of the two fighters in the ring backed up what everyone already knew. Women can sell, women can fight, and women can put on a hell of a show. Katie is a great champion. She's undefeated and undisputed. I'm truly honoured to share the ring. Serrano then posted on her social media channels after the fight and celebrated the event after the fight saying, this is cool. I might just like put this on my wall or something. I'll add it to Sam Kerr's wall of trophies. (laughs) Straight into the shipping container. (laughs) We won. We won for equality. We won for fair pay. We won for boxing. We won for women. We won for young girls. So I raised my hand as a champion, no matter what the outcome of one fight was. Dropping mics. That's goosebumps right there. Yeah, Dropping mics. Yeah. Um, Aussie featherweight boxer Sky Nicholson fought on the undercard and won a unanimous clear decision over Shaniqua Paisley-Davis to move into 3-0 in her pro career. Nicholson knocked her American opponent to the canvas in the final seconds of the sixth round and the judges had Nicholson winning all six rounds with all three scoring the bout 60-53. Nicholson is keen to get back in the ring as soon as possible and said after the fight, I can't wait to have a professional fight in Australia in front of all my supporters that have supported me from day one, that have been there through all the amateur career as well. In long distance running, in just absolutely mind-blowing achievements, we'll just put it into that category, shall we? 
Jackie Hunt Barisma set an unofficial women's world record when the amputee athlete achieved her goal of running 102 marathons in as many days. And just because she could, she added two more over the weekend to wrap up her challenge with 104 marathons in 104 days. Berezma was born in South Africa and lost her left leg below the knee to a rare cancer. She runs on a carbon fiber prosthesis and the 46-year-old began her quest on January the 17th, covering the classic 26.2 mile or 40, what do we do it in now? 42-kilometer marathon distance on a loop course laid out near her home in Gilbert, Arizona. Her original goal was to run 100 marathons in 100 days, so she would beat the record of 95 set in 2020 by Alyssa Amos Clark, an able-bodied runner from Bennington, Vermont, who took it on as a pandemic coping strategy. Uh, similar to you, Bez. <laughs> was, running marathons is definitely not in the top 10 pandemic coping strategies for me. Was, was yours 95 days of red wine, Look, I think? <laughs> we all have our passions. <laughs> Obviously, running is not one of mine. <laughs> uh, then earlier this month, another able-bodied British runner, Kate Jaden, unofficially broke Clark's record with 101 marathons in 101 days. So Hunt Barisma realised she was going to run it, need to run at least 102. Just thought she'd knock out 104. Whoa. <laughs> Along the way, she gained huge social media attention as she should have, and raised more than sixty-seven thousand dollars to help fellow amputee blade runners get the expensive prosthesis they need. I chatted to Ellie Cole on season one of the TFAP podcast, and it's often not covered by health insurance um, to get the equipment that's required and uh, the prosthetics that you might require. So they can often exceed $10,000. Ellie Cole's leg is like the most incredible robot ever. And it's, I'm pretty sure over a hundred K. It's yeah. So amazing effort from Hunt Brisma to, to go out and, and, and raise that kind of money to help other athletes. Um, her 92nd marathon was at this month's famous Boston Marathon, and she hopes her quest will inspire people everywhere to push themselves to do hard things. She said, I'm just happy that I made it. I can't believe it. The best thing was the incredible support I've received from people around the world who've reached out telling me how this has inspired them to push themselves. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. I also like that you've got that quote in your house, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. It's cool. I like it. In rugby, this one was exciting. Got to watch the final this morning, Monday. The Aussie Sevens team have been crowned the 2022 HSBC World Rugby Sevens Series champions. They secured the crown in Langford, Canada early on Monday morning when they won their quarterfinal against Spain. They've already won three out of the first four legs to secure the series when they reached the semifinals. They weren't content with the series win and put on a clinic in the semifinal to defeat Ireland 26 to 5. Waiting in the grand final were fierce rivals, New Zealand, who are back on the World Series after missing the earlier rounds due to travel restrictions placed on them by New Zealand's COVID quarantine rules. It was a tight, tight match. It was pretty cool to see them go head-to-head again. These teams have not come head-to-head since 2019 on the World Series, so it's been a really long time um, since we've actually got to see them compete. It was so good to see because – we play quite a similar style of rugby. Um, I think this really expansive game, hard carries through the middle, but then using the width of the field and some of the strong finishes. So it was really cool to see the two teams go back at it again. New Zealand took a 10-7 lead into halftime and held a 17-14 lead as time ticked away. It was a very, very stressful last last minute of the game. Uh, Maddie Levi had a, a critical turnover just near the try line, the Aussies try line, and they had to go the full length of the field 
they had showed a lot of patience and composure um, from a lot of pressure that was coming from the New Zealand side. And Lily Dick almost stumbled over the line about two minutes after time had expired to seal the win for the Aussies. And I think it was a pretty important victory to silence a few critics who've questioned the validity of Australia's series win, given the absence of New Zealand in the first four rounds. And the Aussies will now look to the final stop in Toulouse, France, which starts on May 20th, where they'll be keen to repeat the result and finish the season with five event wins. It was a very, I must admit, I felt okay with my COVID. Until this morning, screaming at the television, I got a bit of COVID head spins, but it was such an impressive match. I think what you said there, Chloe, about the way they play a similar style, watching the games over the weekend because I'm not doing anything outside, they're still so far ahead of most of the other countries with just the the length and the speed and the quality of pass and it just puts them on the outside of the defensive line over and over again. It's really quite impressive. It's good to watch, isn't it? Mm. Let's take a look at the key story. In AFL, a shocking 62-page report titled Girls and Women in Australian Football Umpiring, Understanding Registration, Participation and Retention, was conducted by the University of Sydney in 2020-2021 and funded by the AFL. That report was leaked on Sunday night and the findings were confronting. The study was compiled by former AFLW field umpire and researcher Dr. Victoria Rawlings and former AFL community umpiring development boss Damien Anderson. It includes accounts from 27 umpires, 26 females and one non-binary across four focus groups from Victoria, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales and ACT. The AFL were not too keen on the findings to be made public and it's not hard to understand why they took that position. The study reveals a toxic male-dominated culture as well as women being subject to sexual harassment from spectators, umpire coaches and fellow umpires. There's been some concern from the AFL around the fact that females represent only 10.8% of umpires nationally, despite the level of growth that we've seen from AFLW um, in, in player participation at a grassroots level. The same increase has not been seen in the officiating ranks, and given the feedback provided in the study, it's pretty easy to see why. One female umpire told the report, I used to receive messages of nudes that other umpires would send to me, and umpires during games would inappropriately touch me, like when we're umpiring together and things like that. That's what made me quit. It's quite confronting to read that. Um, Other complaints include female umpires being forced to share change rooms with naked males and being racially vilified in the workplace. The full report is available online and the contents are quite confronting. So there is only one current AFL field umpire, Eleni Gloffsis, and she is frustrated by the lack of progress. She wrote a scathing forward in the report in which she said, in reading this research, I felt frustrated that girls and women in umpiring roles are still facing the same obstacles and challenges that I faced almost 16 years ago. I'd hope things would have improved. They certainly should have. While umpiring juniors through to state level, I've worn uniforms that don't fit, use change rooms and impose segregation, and have had my ability to perform questioned due to my gender by spectators, players, coaches, the media, umpiring peers, and umpiring coaches. So in doing some research from this piece last night, um, you know, Twitter's a pretty vicious place at the best of times. Um, I put AFL umpiring into the research, into the search field in Twitter. And look, there was, you know, you, you standard a variety of angry humans on Twitter over the weekend about how, you know, poorly the umpires performed, et cetera, et cetera, in the AFL. 
the thing that really stood out to me was the personal attacks on Alini. Um, so she'd umpired the Carlton North Melbourne game, which I watched as a Carlton fan on the weekend. And during that match, Eleni, she was knocked to the ground, um, eyes on the footy. Tom DeConning came over the top of her. Um, I think, to be fair, I think the Carlton player shanked the kick and the ball landed somewhere that they weren't expecting it to land. And um, Tom DeConning kind of cleaned her up. But they both just got up, brushed it off, played on, nothing in it kind of thing. The online comments, though, about that incident and her performance in general were intense. And I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was just the, the language is different, you know, like it's just the language is it's cruel and it's gendered and, you know, it question, and there's just question after question about how she got the gig and why she's umpiring in the AFL. I'm just actually, while you're talking, I've just pulled the video up because I didn't see it. But it's, I think that's the thing where that often starts, right, is this assumption that's made immediately because she's a woman, she's not going to be good at it. And so the second uh, I don't even know if you call that a mistake. I'm not sure what, what happened in that process in terms of her being knocked over. Like that's just something that happens. Razor Ray, one of the most well-known umpires in the game, was was he did he get kicked? Something something happened not long ago and he recovered quite well, but it's kind of part of the game and people loved it from Razor Ray. I thought it was this great highlight piece. But the second it's a woman in that role, the second there's a mistake or something that shouldn't have happened, you just get crucified for it. It was a real finger-pointing exercise as to be her fault. Yeah, it is. Uh, Back to the report, it makes 11 recommendations to create safe conditions for recruiting and retaining female umpires, including better education, more accessible reporting tools, adoption of inclusive change rooms, and improved coaching. Again, on the change rooms piece, it's a bit silly that that has to be a recommendation. That should be a, a common sense piece by now. Uh, As part of the conclusion of the reports, it states that overwhelmingly this study has demonstrated that girls and women in umpiring navigate experiences where they're indirectly or directly told that they do not belong or deserve to be in umpiring. While at its best, umpiring provides participants with greater social, physical and mental health, this report demonstrates that gender plays a significant role in constraining those benefits. I think even reading something like that, it's so interesting, again, the parallels that exist between women who play sport, women who umpire and officiate sport, and women who are trying to progress through the ranks of of these leadership roles in sport. It's indirect, I think that's a great quote, indirect and direct ways of telling these girls and these women that they don't belong in the game. It's some really powerful language and and you're right, it it, it is it's not just umpiring, it's it's females in sport in general it applies to. The AFL did release a statement and They didn't explain why the report hadn't been released last year. They did note that the important findings and recommendations of the report have formed the basis for a number of initiatives that have been included in the Women and Girls Game Development Action Plan, which is in its final stages of completion. The initiatives in the plan are designed to increase representation of women and girls in all parts of our game, from players to umpires to coaches and administrators and aimed at ensuring a safe, welcoming and inclusive environment for women and girls, including lifting the number of women umpires to 40%. And that's an interesting one while we're on it, while I was looking at that video and I just had a quick stalk of Eleni on Instagram. Um, And just recently at the end of March, she was leading a a Zoom call for encouraging the next female AFLW and AFL umpires. So that's a national female umpiring mentorship program. So Eleni obviously does a lot of work in that space and, and hopefully the AFL take on board these recommendations from the report to continue creating change in that space. Let's take a look at what to watch. 
The Suncorp Super Netball enters round eight and surprise table toppers. The Melbourne Vixens host the Queensland Firebirds at John Kane Arena on Saturday. The match starts at 5pm and if you can't get out to the game, you can watch live on Foxtel and KO. In Rugby Union, the Wallaroos will play their first test match since August 2019 when they take on Fijiana this Friday. The match will be played at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Kickoff is 5pm and you can catch it live on Stan Sport. In football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, Sam Kerr will be looking to secure the Women's Super League for her Chelsea team on Sunday night when they play Manchester United in the final match of the season. Kickoff is 9pm Sydney time and you can watch live on Octopus Sport. And in What to Watch doco style, Make or Break, the new surfing documentary is available now on Apple TV. Um, So apparently some really insightful footage following the WCT surfers. That's your homework for the week, Chief Researcher. I have plenty of time to watch docos. There's a a list of them. Yeah, good. And that's the wrap. Done. Well done, friend. I'll see you next week. Well done. See you next week. Thanks heaps for listening, guys. Make sure you hit subscribe. Bye.